When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words. And all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask all of this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I sat down to write this sermon, the first sentence that I typed was this, quote, It almost seems... As though the Pentecost story, with its bringing together of different peoples and different languages, was written for our current cultural moment, doesn't it? Today, I was going to say, we are so divided, so separated from one another, so captivated by us versus them, that it's as though this story was written directly for us. Perhaps, I thought I might argue, there's no more timely application of a biblical story of the release of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the resultant explosion of gospel proclamation in different languages than to 21st century America. With our class warfare, racial unrest, political uncertainty, religious persecution, and so on. I was all ready to talk about our times being so divided right now. Fox News on the one hand, MSNBC on the other, Joe Biden on the one hand, Donald Trump on the other. And I was going to suggest that perhaps there has never been a time in which more people were talking at higher volumes with no one understanding each other at any point in human history. I was going to say all of that. But then I remembered the story of the world. In uh, preparation for their attending a new school next year, a couple of my kids are having to catch up on some reading that the new school requires that the old school didn't. And part of that reading is a set of history books called The Story of the World. And I thought that because I want to be a good parent, I should read them too. Not, of course, that I didn't already know the entire history of the world, you understand, but just in solidarity with the kids. Of course, almost immediately after starting reading, I realized that beyond being a good parent, I know nothing and either need to learn for the first time or relearn the entire story of the world. But I'll tell you one thing. After reading an overview of the history of the world, one thing stands out. The times have always been divided. Certainly in America, we can 
remember the Civil War, but there have been civil wars and wars of all kinds all over the world and all throughout time. There's a sort of rhythm to these story of the world books that lets you summarize history, I think, pretty succinctly. At any given time, in any, any given place, there are lots of clans or communities or cities, each led by a different leader or chief. Eventually, and pretty much without exception, one clan chief decides that he wants to control all the clans, that his way is better than their way, that his people are better than their people, and so, through a series of skirmishes, battles, wars, slavery, and murder, he overpowers all the other clans and gathers the people into one kingdom. And that kingdom holds power for a time until some other chieftain in some other place gathers enough military might around him to take power for himself. And this happens again and again and again. In every place, all around the world, from the earliest nomads to the present day. Wherever there are two peoples, one will eventually try to conquer and rule the other. That's the story of the world. And has been since Genesis 11. Really since Genesis 3, but I'm cheating here because it's Pentecost. We're going to go to Genesis 11. Now don't get worried. We are going to go back to Pentecost, I promise. But to understand the profound nature of Pentecost's good news, we have to understand the bad news. How we got into this predicament of everyone talking and no one understanding each other. Why it is that half of America watches Fox News and would never ever think of watching MSNBC. And why the other half watches MSNBC and would never ever think of watching Fox. Why it is that the Vandals sacked Rome and China continuously tried to conquer Korea. Why it is that pretty much every person on earth is predisposed to believe that they... Those other people are so obviously the problem. That they are what's wrong with the world. In Genesis 11, where we find the story of the Tower of Babel, the world is populated by one people who speak one language. There is unity, but there is also sinful pride. Come, the people say, Genesis 11, verse 4, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. This is exactly what every ancient clan chief thought. Let me make a name for myself. By conquering my neighbor. This is exactly what leads people to try to distinguish us from them. From those people. From MAGA people or Biden voters or whoever. Let me make a name for myself. I sure don't want to be associated with that person. And of course it's also exactly what Adam and Eve thought. 
when they believed the serpent's lie. If you eat that fruit, you will be like God. Come on, make a name for yourself. We sinners are always trying to make a name for ourselves. And so when God comes down and sees the pride at work in the people building this tower, when he sees their attempt to make a name for themselves, and I know I mention this every year, but it continues to be one of my favorite hilarious yet theologically apt verses in Scripture. These people who have said they're going to make a name for themselves, they're going to prove how great they are by building a tower with its top in the heavens. They build this great tower, and God has to come down to see what they're doing. Oh, hey, I can hear him saying, nice tower. It's just too bad I could barely see it, you know, from actual heaven. So God sees their sinful pride at work and executes judgment on them. Just like Adam and Eve, who were expelled from Eden after they tried to pridefully make a name for themselves, that is, a name without God, Just like them, God's people in Genesis 11, Genesis 11, are expelled from their togetherness. They are expelled from this community with one language. Come, says God, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And that's the bad news. That's why we have wars. That's why we have MSNBC and Fox News. Now, every different people, in fact, Every different person is trying to make a name for themselves. And so we end up with different clan chiefs conquering their neighbors all throughout human history. That's how we got the bad news of us and them. But as always in God's providence, the bad news is not the end of the story. By God in Christ, it never is. He is always redeeming his judgments. And today, we are celebrating a particular redeeming. Today, we're celebrating God's redemption of his judgment at Babel. A redemption that comes at Pentecost. As Luke writes in Acts chapter 2, there are devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. You heard the list, right? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. If I'm going to make a volunteer read those names, I should... Only fair that I should read them myself, right? 
But these people, all gathered in one place, are still, in a sense, living under the curse of Babel. They all speak different languages. No one can understand each other until something amazing happens. Until the curse begins to be reversed. Suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Each speaker of each disparate language hears the disciples' proclamation. And they hear it in their own language. They hear it in a way that they can understand. And what exactly are the disciples proclaiming? They're proclaiming, Luke records, God's deeds of power. The disciples are preaching. They're telling the gathered people, gathered in Jerusalem from all over the known world, what God has accomplished. What he has done by sending his son into the world to live for them, to die in their place. And then, very recently, just 40 days ago, to be raised again. To make them sinners right with him. The good news, the disciples say, is available to them, to all of these different people, if they will just believe it. It's available equally to everyone. What an inversion this is. These people have been scattered to the four winds since Genesis 11. Since they tried to make a name for themselves by their own deeds of power, right? Building that great and impressive tower. Now they're gathered back together in one place. And now they're hearing about God Almighty's deeds of power. Done both to glorify his own name and to accomplish their salvation. The people are astonished. They're rocked. They're so destabilized by the whole thing that they wonder maybe if everyone isn't just drunk. And then Peter stands up to preach. No one's drunk, he says. After all, it's too early in the day for that. And then, weaving in prophecy from Joel and from David, Peter preaches. If you read on in Acts 2, reiterating what the disciples have been saying in all the various languages. You sinners, he says, have given the Son of God over to be crucified. But he has been raised. God has done a powerful thing, a deed of power. The people hearing this, Luke records in verse 37 were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the other apostles what they should do. Remember, Peter has just accused them of killing the Christ. So they say, 
What do we do now? But Peter has good news even for them. Repent, he says. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus. And there it is. In the name of Christ Jesus, there is the final inversion, the final redemption of Babel. Repent and be baptized, says Peter, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus. No longer try to make a name for yourself. Now be covered and forgiven in Christ's name. Implicit in Peter's sermon is the good news that all the judgment that you and I deservedly carry, the judgment of Eden, the judgment of Babel, and even the judgment of that desolate moment in which you, yes, even you, crucified Christ the Messiah, all of that judgment has been redeemed by his finished work for you. All your efforts to reach up and be like God have been nailed to the cross. All the time spent trying to make a name for yourself has been laid on Christ's shoulders, taken to the tomb and left there forever. Now we repent and are baptized And we are not baptized in our own name. We are not baptized in a name that we have made for ourselves. We are baptized in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is good news. You do not make a name for yourself. You are given a new name. And indeed, a new life in Christ. I have called you by name, the Lord says in Isaiah 43. You are mine. Adam and Eve tried to make a name for themselves without God. The people at Babel tried to make a name for themselves without God. The crowd in the temple courtyard on Good Friday tried to make a name for themselves without God. God, and you and I are tempted day in and day out to make a name for ourselves without God. That's why you come here. That's why we gather together in this place week by week. We come to reenact Pentecost, to announce that though we have killed Jesus He has risen from the dead. Though we are sinners, he has saved us. We confess our sins and hear absolution in his name. In his name. We eat and drink his body and blood, remembering all he has done for us. All he has done. And so the Holy Spirit is released in this body. And we, together, proclaim Christ's deeds of power to an exhausted world. 
that God is even now reconciling to himself by the finished work of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, after all this time, in his name, we are one again. Not one in tongue, tribe, or nation, but one with everyone in every tribe, in every nation. We are one first in our sin, in our need. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then we are one finally in our salvation. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. These are God's deeds of power, and they are by Christ given to you. Amen.